time. Our analysts break down fights, bring you pre-bout predictions and previews, plus talk all things MMA, from the UFC to Bellator. It's every show in between. If it's a fight, we have you covered. Are you ready? Baseline Times presents TJ Labello, Josh Thomas, and Cody Gwynn with Baseline MMA. And welcome to a new edition of Baseline MMA. Back from a little bit of a hiatus, we're going to talk about some of the things that have went on over the last few weeks and also just look at some of the uh, exciting prospects in the sport with the sport being uh, quickly happening as it has over the last few weeks. There's a lot of prospects to talk about and a lot of potential future champions. Plus, the Contender Series has been going on, and that's been some of the most exciting things happening in the fight world over the last few weeks, so we'll talk about that. As always, Josh Thomas here with us. No TJ tonight, so just us two, a little duo back from a hiatus. It's been a minute since we've been back on, but excited to be back with you here on a weekly basis. Josh, how's it going, man? What's up, man? Glad to be here. There's all kinds of stuff to talk about before we jump ship to the prospect realm and everything going on. Uh, since we last spoke, obviously, a lot of things have happened, Josh. Uh, of course, we won't go too far in the past, but of course, Stipe winning or defending the heavyweight championship. We've seen Sean O'Malley uh, suffer that injury and go down a lot of crazy things at uh, the last pay-per-view show. Frank Yeager winning his debut fight at bantamweight. And then, of course, Anthony Smith just absolutely getting brutalized in the light heavyweight division. You wonder what's next with his future. Neil Magny looked outstanding at welterweight. And then just a, a quick wrap-up, the, the Alistair Overeem obviously turning back the clock a little bit and that just wild comeback performance winning in the pay-per-view. So over the last, uh, I guess, what, uh, three to four weeks, man, what's really stood out to you over these last uh, big shows before we jump to the Contender Series and some other things here? Man, I know all of our fans are going to absolutely hate me for saying this because I say it every single episode, but it is the greatest time to be a mixed martial artist fan, man. Um, taking it back, the last episode we done was the Stipe DC3 uh, preview show. Um, I don't want to call you out, Cody. I don't want to call you out at all. You're my, you're my buddy. You're my homeboy. You're my friend. But, but, that Sean O'Malley fight, Cheeto Vera, oh, man, I, I, I called it. I called it. Uh, I don't want to rub it in too long, but I also called the Stipe <laughs> thing, too. Yep. Um, but man, no, the Stipe, so the Stipe fight really stood out to me. Um, just, just for the simple fact that you just, we would, we just watched two of the single greatest heavyweight mixed martial artists ever, like two of the greatest ever, uh, get to kind of scrap it out one last time. And, and we kind of really, we didn't get any answers that we were looking for as far as this heavyweight division, right? Because now, you know, you have John Jones stepping up at, at heavyweight, uh, which somewhat log jams everything, right? You can argue that at Francis Ngannou um, has the next title shot. You could argue that maybe give it to John Jones first. Uh, you know, and you've, you've got guys. You've got Jorginho Rosenstrike, who uh, looked absolutely incredible against JDS. Uh, you have Derek Lewis, who, um, <laughs> I mean, one of my favorite performances of, of Derek Lewis's entire career. You know, going to the ground with such an incredible grappler um Ian um gosh I'm forgetting his name right now help me out here uh Olenek Olenek yes sorry I I blanked for a moment but but going to the ground uh with Olenek for for you know the entire first round and then and just absolutely obliterating him in the second um I mean it's we're watching such an awesome division kind of play out in an awesome way uh so that really stood out to me then you go you know uh, just to, I guess, maybe two weeks ago, you know, Pedro Munoz and Frankie Edgar, you know, another absolute legend, one of the greatest fighters to, uh, to ever step into the octagon. And Frankie uh, went down 10 pounds. He's now one of 11 fighters, Cody, who have won fights in three different weight divisions. Joins the likes of uh, Anthony Pettis, uh, Conor McGregor. Um, you know, we got to see that play out. And that was a really close fight. I don't think it really diminishes any of Pedro Munoz's star power, um, while it also kind of boosted Frankie Edgar's. Um, and on top of that, you know, Alistair Overeem turning back the clock, man. I mean, absolutely incredible performance. It was a very gutsy uh, comeback kind of performance against uh, Augusto Sakai in a fight that maybe Alistair was losing until, you know, the later portion of the fight and using that, that veteran toughness to kind of start grinding out with Sakai. 
um, and, and inevitably get the finish, it's, man, <laughs> there's been so much stuff that's happened in the last month. It's almost hard to keep up with, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's been so many things on undercards as well that have really stood out, man. I, I loved uh, a week ago. It was actually the first fight I'd been able to just kind of sit down and watch. And uh, I know it was short notice, and I, I don't think too many people didn't see it coming. But I, I loved watching Neil Magny and Robbie Lawler fight because I just think Neil Magny is still to this day a very underrated welterweight. I mean, he's only got one true, you know, finished loss over like four or five years man I mean he is just real consistent he pushes the pace he's got great striking when he uses his length he's got great wrestling I mean I think that's a dark horse in the welterweight division especially when you start looking at some of the fights coming up you know uh, Tyron Woodley and Colby Covington is on the horizon I mean I think you know Maggie's right with those guys in terms of where they're at in the rankings and uh, of course you mentioned Alistair Overeem man I, I love the way Overeem has fought you know here lately I mean he's the guy who can really turn it around and do certain things. And you mentioned Augusto Sakai was winning that fight. He was definitely up uh, first two rounds, really just outboxing, just beating up Overeem. And Overeem was able to, to really turn the fight around, get to the ground. I know Sakai suffered a broken rib sometime in that third or maybe even fourth round. And that really kind of took it out of him. And uh, Overeem was able to really pour it on from there. So that was a really good thing as well. And I'm looking through here to see if anything else stood out. And you mentioned Frank Yeager fighting in multiple weight classes. The crazy thing about Frank Yeager is you mentioned a lot of those fighters who changed weight classes. How many of those guys though, in the later part of their career was moving down weight classes? I mean, how crazy is that Frank Yeager started as an undersized lightweight. And as he's gotten older, he's moved to featherweight and now really in what you would consider maybe the twilight of his career moving down to bantamweight. And that's a wild move, especially in a division like bantamweight that's in a, in a way sort of wide open, you know, Aljamain Sterling, you have to think is the number one contender for that next fight. But with Garbrandt moving divisions and going to flyweight, there's a lot of things happening at 135 pounds. I think there's a good chance you could see a really good legend fight potentially between, you know, Frankie Edgar and Dominic Cruz. And I mean, who would have seen that coming if you look back, you know, five, six years ago when Edgar was a top 10 lightweight and Cruz was the pound for pound, you know, best bantamweight in the world. I mean, there's just some crazy things happening with guys moving around. And then you mentioned it, you go back to the last pay-per-view you did call it the Sugar Sean fight, although I think a little bit of a, a freak occurrence there. But I do think even before that happened, you started to see some signs that you know Cheeto Vera was not going to leave that pocket. And I started to wonder if or you know how Sugar Sean would handle someone who stayed right in his face. And I was really bummed that that happened because I, I was real intrigued to see how that was about to play out because I know both sides of the fence there. Some said, well, Sean was just starting to you know find his range, and others were saying, well, Cheeto was just starting to figure things out so I feel like we sort of got robbed of that fight and I I don't agree with Sugar Sean I don't think he's still undefeated you definitely lost that fight <laughs> but I, I I do agree with Sugar Sean that that could be a fight that maybe gets ran back because you know I mean I don't think I think Chido Vera very confident that I mean he he was in a good position there early in that fight so I mean that could be something that got ran back and I wouldn't be too mad at you know Chido Vera an outstanding bantamweight and there's a lot of good fights for him but I mean I don't think there's any harm in, in running that fight back but uh there's a lot of you know big things happening with some big names and we mentioned all these you know former fights man I mean there's some big fights coming up I mean I, I know this card coming up this weekend's been uh hit pretty hard with some injuries and things like that but uh over the next month I mean you mentioned it there's always good fights on the horizon and this next month is as good as it gets especially when uh UFC just announced they're they're back on fight island in just a couple weeks I don't know if you've seen uh they also announced last night they are revamping the ultimate fighter and they're they're bringing it back really uh, yes sir yes sir really quick before we move on the sugar Sean and the Cheeto fight um I really like Sean O'Malley, man. I really do. What really kind of struck a nerve with me uh, going into that fight was he kind of had this larger-than-life persona, and he, he almost uh, – he was looking past Cheeto. And Cheeto's, you know, uh, a tough fight for anybody, you know. If you take away his last fight, uh, I think he's on, what, like the, like a five-fight win streak, right? You know, because he, he dropped the decision. Uh, that, that, us, might have, that fight might have been his best fight, but when he lost, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of us kind of thought he, he won that as well. Um, it, it's just one of those things where I think Sean kind of got a little ahead of himself and the, he kind of overlooked Cheeto in a way. 
Um, if you go back and you watch that fight, though, Cheetah was throwing some really good leg kicks that I think might have deadened the nerve a little bit. Um, you know, deadened Sean's nerve a little bit. He he just started kind of the, kind of moving really awkward and really uh, really different than what he was used to. And so then what we seen was we seen a veteran, uh, by all means, kind of take advantage of someone's um, maybe intermediate experience. You know, cause Sean. I mean, he he does only have thirteen fights uh, professional now. Um, I, I want to see where Sean goes after this. I want to see a rematch, though. That's what I'm really curious about. I'm really curious about a rematch between the two of them. Um, not saying it might go the same way, but it, it could be a similar uh, end game. But but we have so many top prospects right now. You know, Sugar Sean um, at bantamweight, and, and bantamweight is surging. And and you mentioned it a second ago, the weight cutting at the twilight of your career. You know, Edson Barboza done it as well. You know, he stepped down to uh, – to featherweight i'm i'm with you on the frankie edgar and dominant cruz uh kind of side of things but i'm not really sure i want to see dom fight anymore to be truthful uh, you know I, i'm kind of in that same boat but i do think that's a uh, i don't i don't want to use the word uh safe fight but i think in terms of of top tier bantamweights who are on the rise i mean that's just a good kind of fight to see where both guys are because you mentioned the win over munos was uh, uh, one of those fights where neither guy lost points really in where they were. I mean, both guys look good. I, I know a lot of people score that fight for Pedro Munoz. Uh, so th that's one of those things where I just think that's a, that's a good fight to make. I don't think Frank Yeager, Dominic Cruz really are in title contention, so to speak. I mean, if you're Dom, you have a little bit of a case to be in like the top five, but I think just from where they're at in their career, it, it would be a good fight to make uh, to really just see where, where both guys are. I mean, you know, Peter Yan's a much different style bantamweight than really we've seen in a minute. And then one name to also throw out there is TJ Dillashaw. I mean, it's, it won't be too long until Dillashaw uh, starts looking to get booked and get that comeback fight going. So uh, just a couple of names to throw out there. you got to remember Dillashaw's last fight with Cruz was a real close one. And I have to imagine Dillashaw is definitely coming back to 135 pounds. It, it's not going to be flyweight. It'll be 135 or even judging by some of the pictures of him, maybe even 145. I mean, he's, he's put on some weight. So – uh, that's another interesting name of that Bantamweight division. But uh, moving forward, uh, you mentioned Sugar Sean O'Malley. Obviously, the hype train derailed a little bit by Chito Vera. And you mentioned overlooking guys. Sugar Sean still sort of overlooking the guy that just beat him, as crazy as that even sounds. But, you know, the UFC's loaded. And not just the UFC, but MMA in general loaded with, with prospects. And, Josh, you put something on Twitter earlier that are some of the lesser-known guys that, that you think are – big-time prospects and must-see TV. And I agree, uh, Bryce Mitchell is a name you mentioned that I, I really like. You know, he's he's from not too far away from where you and I have lived, and he's definitely a, a country boy personified. I mean, he's almost like a mix of sort of that Matt Hughes kind of personality where he's just a good old country boy and doesn't want to change any. But then his style is – I mean, I don't even know what to compare it to. It's so unique, his, his grappling style. It's a high-energy – almost sporadic you know style of grappling where it feels like you're just transitioning but he's working on submissions and I think that's made him a, a real dangerous guy and you mentioned a lot of other good names and I'll let you talk about some of them uh but in terms of some of these prospects you know who are some of your favorites coming out right now uh so right now I'm, I'm bringing my list back up but um it's absolutely impossible to to mention prospects and not mention Sean O'Malley, right? He is kind of the the leading driving uh, hype train, which, as you mentioned, sort of got derailed. But I think he he has a uh, he's so he's somewhat established this fan base that I don't think are gonna gonna go away easily. You know, I think one fight, um, depending on how he rebounds, I think the hype train could still absolutely be there. And the same with another hype train is Macy Barber, and and she's you know one of the top prospects right now. Um, as far as women's MMA goes. And, and the reason I put Macy Barber in this, this, uh, this category is because she took one loss to, uh, to Roxanne Modafiri. But I honestly think that, you know, because people were kind of getting a little upset with Macy, she was kind of, she had that sugar Sean mentality where she was looking past opponents and she was saying this and saying that. Um, I think a loss would really humble her, uh, hopefully. And I think I'm, I'm really excited to see her back. But on top of that, you got Shane Burgos, you know, top 10, uh, UFC featherweight just fought uh, Josh Emmett. Uh, I think it was like our very first week in Abu Dhabi, wasn't it? And uh, they had an absolute fight of the year candidate. Uh, Shane Burgos is just as, as game as they come. 
uh, definitely one of the one of the guys to look forward to uh, to seeing. And then you mentioned it, Bryce Mitchell. Man, on the ground, Bryce Mitchell is an absolute wizard. And you know, talking to him or uh, or listening to his interviews, you wouldn't you wouldn't gain that assumption. You know what I mean? You you kind of you hear him and you say, oh, he's a country boy. He's probably a scrapper. Man, one of the most technical ground guys uh, in the UFC right now. I mean, he pulled off a twister, went for it again. <laughs> um, but he's he's just absolutely impressive. Uh, then you have this guy, Joe Selecki. I trained with him in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. He's a really good guy. Um, but on top of that, you know, he won his contender series fight, and then he's 2-0 and in the UFC right now. Uh, so you definitely got him to look out for. You have Daniel Pineda, who um, he was with PFL, was with Bellator, just came back uh, to UFC and beat uh, Gilbert Burns' little brother, Herbert Burns, I believe it was maybe last weekend. An absolutely standout performance. Um, and, you know, he's not, you know, because a lot of these guys that we're mentioning are kind of younger guys. You know, Daniel Pineda isn't a really young guy, but he's kind of young to a lot of UFC fans. And, and he's one of those guys you really need to keep an eye on because he's entertaining on the feet. He's entertaining on the ground. Uh, and then Tanner Bozer. Tanner Bozer is my uh, number one heavyweight pick right now. The toothless Canadian. I mean, he is an absolute powerhouse. Um, and he's just a really fun guy to be a fan of. You know, he, he does these really fun interviews and and uh, he has this really cool mentality about him where he doesn't, uh, he doesn't really overlook anybody or really um, kind of underestimates himself almost in a way that's, that's very, very nice to see. Um, and then Alexa Grasso, you know, she moved up to uh, women's bantamweight, right? From flyweight to bantamweight. She moved from strawweight to flyweight. Okay. Okay. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, absolutely incredible performance at flyweight. And I, I followed her for a while now, but I feel like a lot of people after this last performance are kind of going to be on her, uh, really paying attention. And then another contender series uh, standout was uh, Impa Kasaganai, who just beat uh, Maki Coconut Bombs Patolo. You got Surreal Gain, and I added Kay Hansen as well to my list because Kay, um, you know, she kind of came to the UFC on short notice and took on the, the Invicta champ, Jin uh, Frey, and and ended up getting a first round uh, upset and and uh I don't know I think she's gonna be really fun a really fun addition to the UFC's um the women's mixed martial arts side of things and and all these people I mean a lot of them are coming from the contender series some of them are coming uh just from regional promotions but it, it's kind of looking like this COVID um kind of quarantine that we're we're kind of looking at it's kind of uh propelled us in a way and it's given us it's given a lot of athletes a bigger highlight or a bigger spotlight than they maybe would have got beforehand, which is absolutely incredible because we're, we're finding out a lot about a lot of great fighters. Sorry, I can't talk today. Um, but we're finding out about a lot of really cool fighters. You know, you got TJ uh, Laramie. You have all these people that are just kind of coming out of nowhere and putting all these absolutely incredible performances. Um, and then you have, you know, the contender series. I mean, you were talking beforehand about, uh, you know, Ronnie Lawrence, we have Jimmy Flick, you know, Jimmy Flick was the uh, LFA flyweight champion, took a fight on the contender series and, and had an absolutely incredible performance. Um, you've got Ronnie Lawrence who, you know, Ronnie. Um, yeah. He had an absolutely incredible performance. He's an absolute knockout artist and uh, showed some incredible grappling for 15 minutes. I mean, there's a lot of people to be on the lookout for. Yeah, and, uh, you know, of course, you mentioned the Contender Series has made a lot of good guys. And, you know, you mentioned a lot of good UFC guys. Of course, Bellator is loaded with some prospects, too, even guys that a lot of people don't know. One of them is fighting this weekend, Patchy Mix, who's been around for a while. I mean, he's been a, a can't-miss prospect since about 2017 or 18, and he just keeps winning. Uh, he's not fought in 2020 yet for four fights in 2019. He's a guy I enjoy watching. I know a Bellator prospects really fly under the radar. Jack Shore is another guy who, who recently fought uh, a talented Welsh fighter, had a great run in Cage Warriors. Uh, he's 13-0, and I know the UFC's had a hard time matching him because they wanted to bring him up a little bit slow, and he's got a big fan base overseas. And I'm excited to see what they do with him next. And, and then, of course, uh, you, you missed a big one. He's the guy circled on my list because, uh, you know, been around the sport. Both of us been around the sport a long time. And even booking amateur fights and low-level pro fights, one of the riskiest moves in all of matchmaking in mixed martial arts and boxing is a double booking. And Kazmat Chemaev has unlocked that 
addition, unlocked that portal where he has actually been double booked by the UFC to fight two of the toughest, best grappling fighters in the world as he will, he's literally booked at 8-0, he's booked to fight Gerald Mearshart first and then turn around a couple weeks later and fight Damian Maya both on Fight Island. I think in terms of uh, prospects, can't miss prospects, you know, people already penciling him in as champion of two weight classes. I mean, it's obviously went to a whole new level, and I think it's a little bit quick. But obviously the UFC is all aboard with the hype train as well. Um, a, a double booking just blows my mind. It seems like such a, a risky move. But uh, the UFC's got confidence, and I know that's rubbed Gerald Mearshart the wrong way. I know Damian Maya obviously has got to you know, be looking at this too because uh, you know, he loves for guys to take him down, and we've seen that's what Shamaya wants to do, and even at Maya's late stage in his career. Uh, what do you make of that? A, a double booking. I mean, you know, like I said, I used to match make amateur fights, and you know, we would, of course, set up fights to try to make certain guys look good, especially in their hometowns and things like that. But a double booking was always just so risky. That it's something I, I would never touch, and it's crazy the UFC is going to do it with uh, two of the definitely the hardest opponents that Chimaev's ever fought. Um, there was actually – that's kind of the reason I left Chimaev off of my, my list was so we could talk about this double booking. And the reason I left Chimaev off of the, the top prospects to watch kind of list is because it almost feels like he's almost amassed this uh, – The word prospect. A, yeah, maybe a, maybe a reputation. He's surpassed the word prospect. You're exactly right. Um, because a lot of people are kind of penciling him in as, as a future champ, future top 10, future top five. Um, really quick, before, before I touch on that, I want to say the Patchy Mix fight this weekend, he's fighting Juan Archuleta, which is one of TJ Dillashaw's training partners. And Juan Archuleta is also one of those prospects for Bellator where, uh, you know, Juan had one of the best knockouts I've ever seen, uh, I believe, two years ago or maybe one year ago. Um, and then on, on, you know, on top of the prospect thing from Bellator, you know, you have to mention at this point, Aaron Pico, who, you know, switched camps and is looking absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Right. Um, the, the Chimaev thing to me being a martial artist, uh, you know, cause I, even though I don't, I don't fight anymore, I still train I still coach. Um, I would never in a million years let any of my fighters that, that I coach ever be double booked as long as I could help it. Um, because to me, two reasons. Um, one that puts this weird expectation on a fighter, right? You're going into that very first fight. You have this almost unreal expectation. Every fighter's, um, mindset going into any fight, whether it's their first fight, their last fight, their title fight, no fighter goes into a fight wanting to lose. Everybody goes in wanting to win this double booking, uh, situation puts this weird, almost, um, it puts a pressure on you. That's unlike the normal pressures of fighting. And I think as a fighter, uh, that's a bit, it's, it's a bit more stressful than, than a usual situation as a martial artist. Um, I don't believe in looking past any opponent or any, um, anybody on that roster. You know what I mean? So to me, it almost feels like, uh, Chimaev and the UFC are both kind of sipping the Kool-Aid. They're kind of riding this train and they're kind of, they're kind of looking past Gerald, uh, Gerald Mearshart, who, as you mentioned, one of the guys that you should not look past, right? But then the reward, if you beat Gerald Mearshart is fighting Damian Maya, who, if you look, um, it, it's almost like Damian Maya is, yeah, aside from the, the Gilbert Burns fight, you know, Damian Maya is doing pretty good in the twilight of his career, you know, and, and people really forget a lot because Damian's uh, stand-up and his wrestling have both improved. People tend to forget just how dangerous Damian Maya is, um, especially against a really good wrestler. And you've seen it with Ben Askren, you know. Ben Askren isn't the most technical striker in the world. He is an Olympic-caliber wrestler, Um and it, it was like Damian Maya, A, um, was able to out-grapple Ben, but B, he, you know, he kind of welcomed the takedowns in that fight. So for me, it's just kind of disrespectful on the UFC's part. It's disrespectful on Chimaev's part. And we don't know uh, Chimaev's, um, I guess, side of the story, but the story that we're getting is that he was double-booked, and to me, that's just kind of embarrassing for, for Gerald Mearshart. It's, it's disrespectful to Gerald. Um, 
and it's it's disrespectful to Chimaev in a way too. Yeah, for, at the, at the for, end of the day, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. At the end of the day, we are all martial artists, you know, and that's there's a certain honor and respect that comes with being a martial artist and and the double booking thing. Uh, and then you got to look at this. What if he beats Gerald Mearshart, but he breaks his hand? Right. Yeah. Or he, or he sustains an injury, and the injury just doesn't go away. Now he's compromised in a fight um, against an ADCC uh, gold ch- uh, champion. You know what I mean? It's it's just it's so risky. Um, you know, I was all for him having that. What was it, like a twelve day or a fourteen day turnaround on Fight yeah, Island? Right. I was all I was all for that because he's seemingly unscathed, but I cannot see him being unscathed against Gerald Mearshart. I mean, you know, to me, I could see him being unscathed against Gerald Mearshart, but I mean, that's, you You book him against Damian Maya the next day, you know, like book him, like announce, let him fight Mearshart Saturday, and then Sunday announce that you have a fight for him for Maya. Now, from what I've heard of it, first of all, Chamayev has been outspoken about wanting to fight guys on multiple days. I mean, I think he caught out the Diaz brothers uh, sometime over the last few days. So obviously he's all, all going ho about it but the Damian Maya fight was for Fight Island and from what now I'm seeing it's not official it's just what the UFC wants to do but it just now happened as in like late last week Jamaya did get his visa and everything taken care of so the fight against Gerald Mearshart will actually happen in Las Vegas at the Apex so he's coming to America to fight for the first time so from what had happened was the UFC was already working on the Maya fight. They wanted Gerald Mearshart to come fight on Fight Island, but then when Shamaya finally got the visa thing taken care of, they went ahead and just added that fight to the uh, Colby Woodley fight as they're trying to stack that card a little bit, and uh, they just kept the Maya fight as well. So, uh, really, I, I would I would assume. I, I mean, I, I don't know for sure, but I would assume that it wasn't supposed to both come out but it just took a while for everything to kind of work out that of course all fights leak before they're official anyway. So it had just come out that Shamaya and Maya was being worked on because I mean, that's a pretty big fight. I mean, that's a pretty big test to put an eight, no guy against a former world champion, but then the fight wasn't official. And then Gerald Mirshar had been all for it. And, uh, you know, I don't. I, I guess Jemayev and Maya would be at 170 unless Maya's moving back up. I know the Mirshar fights at 185. So it's an interesting dynamic, and you know, I agree with you from any standpoint. Honestly, from a fighter standpoint, you don't want to book two fights because you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself to not just win, but as you mentioned, stay healthy to get in that fight and come out unscathed. As a coach, of course, I mean, you don't want your fighter looking past somebody. Of course, Damian Maya's got the bigger name, so a young fighter is going to look past someone like Gerald Mearshart. And, and Mearshart's one of the toughest, grittiest, most you know, unique fighting style guys in the UFC. I mean, he's definitely no pushover. And then from, you know, a matchmaker standpoint, I, I don't understand it either. Uh, again, though, you know, the Maya fight, not official. I think that's just kind of the UFC is what they want to do. I, I know Dana you know, spoke on it. You know something you just mentioned, and I did not mean to cut you off. Oh, go ahead. I, I did not realize the Mearshart fight was at 185 and the Maya fight was going to be at 170. Yeah. Wow. So that's even more fucking stressful because now you add a weight cut in. And you know, you know what a bad weight cut can do to you. Oh, yeah. Especially against Damian Maya. Yeah, and I mean, Shamayev has, has said though, you know, that he likes he likes being able to fight at both. You know, has the uh, of course the double champion dream of doing both. But I mean, Mirshark's a big guy at eighty five, and then I mean, like I said, the Damian Maya fight is not official, but I just don't see Maya moving back up to eighty five. He's not been there in you know, a long time since his you know the horrible Anderson Silva fight day. So I would just assume that that's, they're going to move him around and wait. But I mean, you know, this just a, it's just a risky thing and it's a risk for, for no real reason. I mean, like I said, go fight Mirshar on the 19th. If you literally go in there and run through him, have Dana come out on the 20th or even in the post fight press conference go, yeah, we're going to put him with Davey and Maya next and we're going to do it at fight Island. So uh, yeah. just from my perspective, I'm assuming they didn't want it to get out, but just, circumstance you know of course the Maya fight leaked because that's a, a big name fight and of course everyone's asking about uh you know Chimaya I know Dana wanted him to fight a long time ago I mean like I think right before I think they actually wanted him to be on that pay-per-view card with Steep and DC and he didn't have everything done in time to have his visa in time I thought and, it was the visa problem yeah yeah so it just took so long to really work out that when it did they just immediately found him a fight and of course there's not a lot of prospects wanting to fight him so of course Mearshart was all gung-ho foul but Joe Mearshart I mean not from his perspective I get it you know it, uh, it would suck to think that the UFC is saying well you know here's a layup and then we're going to put you with this former champ 
So that's going to be one of those, uh, for any let me ask, betters, <laughs> that's, that might be good money. Let me ask you this now. If you, if you beat Gerald Mearshart and then you go on and you beat Damian Maya in a very convincing way, who do you fight next? Do you, do you, do you keep uh, pushing forward to this, the welterweight division? Or do you maybe try to find you a top 10 uh, middleweight? And the one name that's kind of standing out to me right now is Derek Brunson. You know, do you, do you kind of risk, you know, because, you, you know, obviously they're fluctuating. He's, he's going back and forth in the weight. Do you, do you keep pursuing one weight or do you, do you kind of keep steady in both dipping your toes back and forth, you know, because, you know, I've, as me and you have talked, this middleweight division, um, it's stacked and it's wide open at the same time, which is probably the most confusing thing that I've ever said. But when you look at it, it's, it's absolutely stacked. But a lot of the people in this, a lot of this top five are now booked. So would you, would you take a risk of giving him someone a little bit more experienced? You know, not saying that, that Derek Brunson is more experienced than Damian Maya, but Derek Brunson, uh, he's heavier. Uh, by all accounts, he's more deadly of a striker, and he's, he's a little bit more dangerous on the feet. Um, and then you, you take into account the, the weight, you know, so he's, he's going to be a little bit stronger. So how do you kind of see that playing out if, if we have a, a Chimaev double victory? As, yeah. a match, as a matchmaker, where would you go with that? I mean, it probably comes down to, you know, who's willing to fight him. Because, I mean, at that point, he's 10-0. He's now beat a former champion. He's won, you know, two fights in two weight classes. So, you know, from the matchmaking standpoint, it might come down to which division can I sort of speed him quickly to a title shot. So, you know, the middleweight division is really solidly booked right now in terms of you got your big title fight. You probably have your number one contender fight with, with Whitaker and Cannoneer. You got Hermanson and Darren Till, which is going to make some, you know, that, that's going to lead to some headway. That Till fight, though, that's a long way off, not till December. So, uh, I mean, you got to think, too, is Shamayev wanting a quick turnaround again? You know, is he wanting to stay active? So that's the only thing. When you go, and you mentioned earlier, bigger than the word prospect, once you make that jump from prospect to true contender, one of the really sucky things that happens is you kind of lose that ability to fight every other weekend. You really have to start being matched correctly because not everyone's just going to fight you. And I mean, you mentioned earlier, I, I think Chimaev may be to that point where just not anybody's going to fight him. So, you know, really, I would say the welterweight division is probably the better place to really look for bookings. The welterweight seems a bit deeper in terms of contenders. Uh, one name that I, I would really keep an eye on if he doesn't get booked anytime soon. I had heard a rumor about it, but I, I, I don't know it's for sure. But Leon um, is Leon Edwards. Fucking uh, Leon. I, I think if Edwards continues to just have a lot of trouble finding a fight, if there's, I mean, you know, I really. I'm about 100% confident him and Masvidal is just not going to happen because the UFC is really protecting the star power of Jorge Masvidal. I did see where the Wonder Boy fight was sort of being talked about, but I just I don't know when Wonder Boy is looking to fight again. And I know Leon's kind of looking anytime, but I think that would be the big time top five. Because, I mean, with Shamayev, the next step, if you're going to take these two fights back to back, the next step would, of course, be to get you a five-round fight. And I think him and, and Rocky, especially if you can still do it on Fight Island, I mean, there's your five-round fight. You know, let Leon really, you know, permanent marker his name as, as a true contender by knocking off this super prospect or have Chimaev really shut him up and, and do it. You know, the UFC kind of wants is that's to kind of move Edwards down to that gatekeeper status. So as a matchmaker, those are some of the fights I look at. You know, Chimaev's got that style too where, you know, in the welterweight division, I love the idea of seeing what he could do with a guy. I mean, I don't think he's ready yet, but him and Usman have that similar style. So that is a fun fight to just think about while middleweight, you know, that's loaded with strikers. That would almost be, you know, a clash of them solid strikers against a very, very pressure heavy grappler. And I think it's, it's clear, you know, the middleweight division sort of being set up to be the, the fun division. I mean, Adesanya, Whitaker, Paulo Costa, you know, Hermanson's got a ground and pound style, but, you know, Cannoneer, Darren Till, all headhunters, you know, Yoel Romero, Uriah Hall, Anderson Silva still in the mix, Gastelum Brunson, all those guys are, are really that headhunter style. So I think welterweight would be the vision as a matchmaker, I would say to keep Chamaya in just because his style fits there better. And, as a matchmaker, I don't think I want to see Chimaev literally kill all my fun-to-watch strikers at middleweight <laughs> if he is that good. Before we move past Chimaev, though, can I, can I just remind everybody, Chimaev has only had two fights in the UFC. Yep. And I'm not knocking 
anybody in the UFC, right? I fought for five years, never made it to the UFC, right? It's a, it's a completely different level from, um, from most other organizations. And not only that, it's a difference in martial artists as well. So I'm not, not knocking anybody when I say this, but Shemaev did fight two almost short notice um, opponents, right? Uh, who are definitely not anywhere near top 10, top 20 maybe. So we still truly don't know just how good Shemaev is. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, to derail the hype train. I'm not trying to kill the hype train. I actually really like Shemaev. Um, I think he's fun to watch because I love that super just sticky grappling style. I absolutely love that. Um, but that is the thing is we've truly not seen him be tested yet. I think in two fights, what he's had three strikes. Absorbed. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he comes in there and I mean, it's, it's a bull rush. I mean, that's the style. And I think we'll learn a lot against Sheldon Mearshart. I mean, Mearshart's had, Mearshart's had some tough fights where he struggled with some guys. You know, I think back to the, the Jack Hermanson fight and that's, you know, that was a long time ago though, December of 2018. I mean, no, not a real long time ago, but I mean, obviously Hermanson or not Hermanson, Mearshart has improved since then. But I just think that, you know, that would be a, a good fight to see. Because, I mean, what's the, the game plan has to be to just keep, keep the fight going a little bit longer and, you know, make Shemayev work a little bit. And I think Mearshart's a veteran who will know how to do that. And then if we do get past the Mearshart fight, you know, the Damian Maya fight, um, you know, that's just interesting because at times we've seen Shemayev, you know, just immediately just go to position to position to position. You can't make any mistakes against Damian Maya. I don't care if he's 40, 50, 60 years old. You can't make any mistakes. So that'll be a real good test for a young guy if he does, you know, take both fights in. Um, it's, it's, it's just an interesting scenario. I mean, there's a lot of things you could talk about him. He's, that's what the UFC likes. The UFC loves – we mentioned all those prospects earlier. The UFC loves having guys that people can talk about in great detail, and that's what Shemayev is. And the double booking adds that flavor where, I mean, you can talk about him in different weight classes, move him around with different – things i mean again we're me and you are sitting here spending you know 15 minutes talking about a guy who's 2-0 in the sport 2-0 in the ufc 8-0 overall fighting kamar usman so that's what the ufc likes about many of these prospects and uh you know there's there's a good chance that if if things keep on the same way i mean if he literally goes in there and beats both mirshar and damian maya the only logical place for him to jump is into some top five potential main event fights and uh that's that in my opinion would definitely take him from that prospect status to bonafide contender in two weight classes absolutely and just to i never try to like i never try to derail anybody's hype i just try to get people to kind of think before they jump on these hype trends super super hard uh but look at, at gerald mearshart's last fight was against ian heinish but look at the fight before that against uh deron win uh deron wins an aka standout and um by all means he has a uh, – he kind of has one of those styles, right? One of those styles. Um, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's an absolute wrestler from, from hell. I mean, right? You know what I mean? He's an yeah. uh, Olympic freestyle wrestler, um, college wrestler, went to – where did he – did he go to – he went to Liberty, yeah? I'm not sure. Darren Wayne, I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, I was trying to find the college he went to. But he, he's, by all means, he's a great wrestler, right? And he has wins, actually. So this is going to kind of blow a lot of people's minds. He has wins over Jaden Cox and over Pat Downey, wrestling, wrestling-wise, right? Yeah. And Mearshart was able to submit him in the third round of their fight. So uh, when you think about – and MMA math never truly works out, but when you think about the – the kind of grappling heavy attack that Darren Wynn kind of poses for people. And then you kind of look at Shemaev, it's not very hard to believe that, that Gerald Mearshart really might wreck this party. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons the UFC is doing that because at the end of the day, when they look at guys who are prospects, they do like to sort of speed rush guys, and it's been them in the butt many times. But, I mean, this is – Shemaev is outspoken – like we said, he's called out both Nate and Nick Diaz on Twitter just in the last 48 hours. So, I mean, this is a guy who wants to be all in and, and similar with uh, Sugar Sean. I mean, if you're going to continuously call out top guys, I mean, you got to put them in there with top guys. And, you know, for, from Sugar Sean's standpoint, 
he may be lucky that he fought someone like Chito Vera and he didn't get fast-tracked into a top five guy because you know, he wasn't quite ready for Chito Vera's throwing a couple leg kicks. So, you know, some guys develop quicker and, and we've seen a lot of this over the years where many guys have fallen, but other guys that have just been, you know, one guy I'll think of who did fight pretty frequently way back in the day was John Jones. And a lot of people thought his rise was way too fast because he went from former champion to former champion to contender and then boom, he was the light heavyweight champion. So there's a lot of fighters that the speed track has worked out for, but it's also been them in the butt multiple times with different guys. You mentioned uh, Barbara earlier. You know the UFC was hoping she would just become a superstar overnight just to add a little bit of flavor into that women's flyweight division that really has one star, and that's it. And, of course, you know that backfired because Roxanne Modafari just spoiled that party, a girl who's you know close to 500. So the UFC's – there it's interesting you know how you pick and choose what to do but i think this is you know the from not the maya fight because like i don't like the double booking but the general mirror fights good matchmaking because that's a, that's a good test mirror not a killer so to speak but uh it's hard to see him just being ran through like we've seen with the previous two fights of chamayev uh really quick before we before we move on um <laughs> One of my one of my friends just sent me a message on Instagram, and usually I don't look at my phone while we're podcasting, but for some reason I was like, oh, I'm gonna open this. It was actually a photo taken one hour ago on Shemayev's Instagram of him hanging out with Dana White. Well, there you go. <laughs> that was that is the most convenient thing I've ever I've ever seen in my life. It just something told me like, hey, open this message, and sure enough, that's what it was. It was one hour ago. It says, finally, I got to meet the legend at Dana White. And spend some time with him. The future is bright, and I'm more motivated than ever. Thank you to all UFC for welcoming me. And then he tagged Mick Maynard and Sean Shelby. Um, with that, I also want to mention we just talked about about Darren Wynn. Um, so Darren Wynn tested positive uh, after his fight with uh, with Gerald Mearshart. He tested positive for amphetamines. Did you see that? I did. He tested positive, and we also had uh, three other. Uh, people get get uh, popped from marijuana. Uh, Louise Pena, uh, Tim Elliott, and um, I'm trying to think of the Jamal Hill. All got got hit from marijuana. Um, I wanted to ask you really quick because it is such a con. Just it's such a weird topic, right? It's con. I, I was going to say controversial, but I really I don't think the word controversial kind of applies. Um, I do not condone steroid use at all right? Especially in professional sports, but these guys who are smoking marijuana, um, Darren Wynn's case, uh, maybe a little bit of cocaine, you know, <laughs> as long as it's not in competition, right. Or around competition. Um, I, this is one of those things that I really don't have a huge, huge problem with. Um, and you know, Cynthia Calvillo, she tested positive for marijuana. She took, what was that? Like a nine month layoff. Yeah. So my question for you and for all the fans that listen to Baseline MMA, you can uh, reach us on Twitter or Instagram. Um, how do you feel about USADA and the almost overstepping the boundaries at times uh, with these uh, suspensions and, and, and all this stuff? Uh, because for me, you know, a little bit of weed, and this is, you know, it's an excellent time to ask this question because – uh, Nick Diaz announced this week that he is looking to return uh, within 2020, 2021. Uh, you know, he was the original, you know, I remember buying dethroned shirts that said legalized Diaz back in the day, you know, when he, right. he took yeah. a huge suspension. So the question that I'm posing to listeners and to you, Cody, is should marijuana be a banned substance? I don't think so, uh, or not at least in out of competition out of competition use, which really in competition use don't bother me too much anyways, or, you know, either way, but, you know, you saw it as always, it's one of those kind of double-edged swords thing. You know, if you start looking at marijuana, then you got to look at some other things as well. But we've, if anything, you need to have, they need to clean up a lot of things with USADA. And I've said that since the very beginning, you know, first of all, nothing should come out until it's all completely finalized until the suspension until all the proof, all the supplements are turned in and all that. And, you know, USADA's got a real bad habit of somebody testing positive and it being announced the next day. It's very rare that you can get all the information in 24 hours, and that's one of the biggest problems with USADA because a lot of times we hear about these guys testing positive, and then that's all you hear. 
So of course your mind quickly goes to steroids. You know, obviously the UFC had a real bad TRT problem for a long time back in the day, right before they got USADA. So, you know, we always think performance enhancing drugs. And in my opinion, marijuana is not a performance enhancing drug, so to speak. And what's really troubling right now and it's crazy the UFC won't just sort of do something about it if they can. I, they might not be able to, but every fight right now is, is short notice. So your out-of-competition use is going to be a, a big question mark because, I mean, you put yourself in uh, Luis Pena's shoes. If you, know, you were smoking marijuana two weeks ago and then all of a sudden you get a call to fight in, in eight or nine days, are you going to say, well, no, because I'm, I'm smoking weed? You know, I mean, that's, that's one of those things where I'm sure most of the time the UFC would go, well, that's that's fine you know that's okay we need you to fight and he would say okay but if it's one of those things where you think well if i go in there and put on the fight of my life and win and everything and then get it retracted because of, of a drug test failure you're not gonna fight so it's one of those substances that should be looked at of course <laughs> there's a lot of questions you know when john jones first got popped a lot of questions came into play if if cocaine should be a banned substance in his situation too so you, I don't, you know, again, I'm not a, a pharmacist, you know, I don't know a lot about what all these things do to your body. And, you know, a lot of people who are against marijuana will say that it helps you relax. So of course, when you fight a lot of times, unless you're a seasoned vet, you do get real tense. So if you're smoking marijuana in competition, it's going to help you relax. So therefore it may sort of give you a little, you know, boost in your performance. And that's just sort of devil's advocate, I guess, in a way, but I don't think so. I think that's one of those where, you know, we put USADA in the sport to stop people from cheating. And that should be, you know, that should be underlined and highlighted and all capped and bolded and all that, because that, that's what it's for. I don't care what, what all is in your body, unless it is literally boosting your performance, unless it is making you a better fighter than me. And a lot, a lot of times I think you saw it uh, oversteps their boundaries with saying, well, this, this was in your, this, your, your system. Well, what does that do? Well, we don't know, but we, it's in your system. Well, it's a banned substance. Yeah. Then we shouldn't even talk about it until we can both agree that, you know, what's it do for me? And, you know, again, uh, more of a devil's advocate, I guess, but as a fighter, you should really be very careful and selective with what you put in your body, especially once you're in the UFC, because, you know, there are, we've seen what's happened to many fighters who, you know, there's been fighters who've sat out for months just waiting for things to be cleared, not even because they failed a drug test or because they were suspended, but just waiting to have their name cleared. And uh, we both know I me, mean, this, you do not have a long fight career. So you don't want to be sitting on the sideline for eight, 10, 12 months, just waiting for someone to give you a call and go, Hey man, that supplement, it's all good. Sorry about that. You know, you're clear. <laughs> you just missed 10 months, especially right now. When I mean, this is a good chance for so many guys to get four to five fights in a year, you know, if you play your cards right. So uh, I, I would hope that the UFC is a little bit more lenient on some things like that. But I know, you know, USADA and the USADA contract, I believe, is up soon because it was uh, signed right around the same time as Reebok. So uh, there's a lot of talk about that as well. I'm not seeing much of that lately, but I do remember last year uh, towards, I guess, October, November, it was an article that said, you know, you saw it in their final year. So that's going to be something interesting to see what the UFC wants to do there. And of course, right now, if we're still in a pandemic, there's no way the UFC would change their drug testing policies because it's going to be real hard to switch all those things up. So, I mean, they may sign on for another year or so, but you know, there's been some definite issues with USADA, but I, I think marijuana is that questionable one where you're always going to have a few that kind of stick their arm up and go, well, wait a minute, don't it help you relax and mellow out and stuff? And, I think out of competition, though, it should be something that's not even tested for. I mean, there should be a real select list, and if it's not on that list, we shouldn't even, you know, give it any attention. I mean, again, like I said, you know, I, I just want to know if you're cheating. I don't care what you're doing, especially out of competition. I, I don't care what you're doing as long as you're not using, you know, any drugs to get bigger, to get faster, to get stronger, uh, things like that. And, and from what I know, I don't think marijuana is helping you do that. If anything, it's making you slower and maybe fatter. So I, that's, you know, that's sort of one of those to each their own thing. Cause you know, of course there's going to be some people out there that disagree, but uh, I think out of competition, that's one of the big places you saw it. I should back off just a little bit out of competition in competition. That might be a little bit of a different story, but out of competition, that should be all clear. Absolutely. And, and I'm not one of these, I'm not a stoner. I'm not uh, I'm not even a, a pot user, right? But as a fan of the sport, it is very annoying that something 
um, so minuscule can essentially, I mean, you're absolutely right. It can sideline an entire career in nine months. I mean, you were just talking about what happened in the MMA world in the last month. If all those fights happen in the last month, take that and then you multiply that by, uh, you multiply that by nine. I mean, because I guess a, a regular, uh, like a USADA marijuana suspension is nine months. I mean, that's, that's a potentially career altering um, sideline right there. It's just, it's so crazy to me that, that we're still reading about, and especially guys like Tim Elliott, Luis Pena. These are, these are guys who are almost must watch TV at this point. You know what I mean? And, and that's why it's just so uh, like flustering to me is reading this stuff. You know, we, we missed out on what could have been Nick Diaz's golden years. You know, think of the star power that the Diaz brothers have now. Well, think of that hadn't have ever went away. Think of all the money that UFC potentially lost out on. You know, a, a UFC 209, you know, that was supposed to be uh, Tony and Khabib. If, oh, yeah. If Nick, if Nick Diaz was um, active at the time, we could have had a, a Nick Diaz fight, you know, headlining that. Or, or you know, it's, it's hard to say what could have been or what might have happened. But, right. um, you know, it's just one of those things that's very annoying reading about. And then you see half the UFC roster in their, their Instagram, they're, they're smoking marijuana. You know, it's one of those things, like, it's, it's just very frustrating to me still seeing nine month, 10 month suspensions for, for these athletes. And, and that's, that was the only thing I was just asking was, was where you kind of fall on that side of things. And if you're a fan of baseline MMA and you're listening to this podcast and, and you truly know like a scientific reason as to why um, this is banned, or if you even have an opinion uh, at us on Twitter at baseline MMA. And uh, I will gladly interact with you through messenger, through tweets, through whatever, uh, because I'm just genuinely curious. That's, yes. That's, yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, that's one where, I mean, I'm sure there's more information out there and of why things and like I said, in competition, I get being a little bit more strict, but out of competition, I can't imagine that's one of those things you should harp on. But I mean, we, we've seen, you know, you mentioned the Diaz brothers that are obviously the poster child for that, but there's been numerous fighters get popped for, you know, very trace amounts of it. And especially right now, I mean, those, I mean, I, one of the fighters, it might've been Pena who said, you know, well, I, I took the fight on 11 day notice. I mean, of course there's going to be trace amounts. I didn't know I was fighting 13 days ago. So that's one of those tricky situations. And, and the pandemics, you know, changed the way these fights are getting made. I mean, you get fight announcements that are, you know, made and you're like, awesome. When is that fight? And it used to be three, four months away. And now you get a fight announcement and you go, oh man, that's next weekend. And, you know, speaking of next weekend, one of the fights that I feel like was just booked was Michelle Waterson and Angela Hill. And that, that fight went from, you know, a low main card fight to two weeks later now, a five round main event coming up this weekend. And uh, we won't spend too much time on this card because I mean, you know, cards change so much. I'd hate to go into a full preview when Josh, we both know that nowadays four of these fights probably won't even happen this weekend. And of course, you know, next, the next card next weekend is the real big one. And we'll talk about that on next week's podcast. But uh, just looking at this main event, man, I, I went from intrigued to very intrigued when Watterson and Hill became five rounds, just because I think this is a good chance for Angela Hill to really show out real good cardio, real good movement, fighting someone who's uh, specializing in obviously the karate background, but Watterson definitely got a good ground game as well. Bennett Jackson's out for a long time, and I think she's got a very underrated ground game. Uh, it's sort of out of nowhere main event fight that may fly a little bit under the radar. This is one of those cards that a lot of people may not tune in, especially now that uh, you have all sorts of sports to choose from with baseball, full swing, basketball, back. There's some minor college football on NFL starts this weekend. So a lot of things happening, but what is in the hill to me is a real exciting strawweight fight. It's just maybe going to kind of rub people the wrong way that, that it's a headliner, but I do like the fight being five rounds. Absolutely. And um, you know, it's kind of, it's one of those things where this last weekend, um, Sakai versus Overeem, I think from start to finish, it was what, seven, eight fights. Um, so yeah, it'll be at seven. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very weird time right now. Um, and, and we got this new main event by, um, by chance really, right? Because Tiago Santos, uh, pulled out of his fight against, um, Glover Teixeira. Which Glover tested positive. Oh, okay. Okay. That's what it was. That's, I, I knew somebody did. Um, 
but yeah, Glover, you know, tests positive and gets pulled from the main event slot. So now we're watching history be made, right? Because Angela Hill is officially the first African American female to ever headline a UFC event. So uh, with that little known fact, you know, that's absolutely incredible. Um, moving it to five rounds, you're absolutely right. This just became a lot more intriguing. Um, I think I'm not really sure how you're feeling about this, but um, when I think of Michelle Watterson, right, I'm thinking of um, her performance against Yoani on Jacek. I'm thinking of her performance against uh, Carla Esparza. We're kind of seeing that um, Michelle Watterson is one of those people who, because she has such a strict martial arts background, like a traditional martial arts background, she almost seems, I don't want to say the word timid because she's definitely not timid. Nobody that gets in that cage is like timid. You know what I mean? But she's almost more methodical in her approach. And it seems like that approach is almost detrimental to um, to her fights, right? So you see the Rose Nami Yunus fight where Rose threw an absolutely incredible head kick and, uh, and, and dropped her. It's, it's almost like she's uh, not active enough while she's in the cage, you know, and, and the Esparza fight was a little bit different. You know, she, she kind of pushed the pace a little bit more, but even then, you know, Carla's leading and finishing the exchanges. And I think that's what a lot we're going to see a lot what we're going to see. I think that's a lot of what we're going to see. Sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to let the hillbilly come out there for a minute. Um, I think that's a lot of what we're going to see against Angela Hill. And Angela Hill is, you know, she comes from a strict Muay Thai background. She's looked absolutely phenomenal on this run that she's on. And, you know, I honestly, I like Claudia Gadelia, but I'm honestly going to go ahead and say that I thought Angela Hill won her last fight. Yeah, me too. Um, and, you know, before that, you know, she won a five round, or I'm sorry, she won a three round decision. Um, you know, before that, she, she uh, TKO'd Hannah Cyphers uh, in the second round. I mean, Angela Hill's put on, put together this phenomenal run, and I'm not saying that she might go all the way with it, but you know, as of right now, she's looking she's looking like she's kind of on the fast track to that. Um, so I have Angela Hill winning this fight. I'm not sure if she's going to be able to put the karate hottie away, uh, but I do definitely think that that uh, Angela Hill gets it done. Yeah, I think this is definitely a, a fight that would, was going to decision regardless. Two more rounds, I think it will still go to decision. Uh, I think X-Factors, of course, would be Watterson maybe going to the ground or looking to possibly wrestle Hill a little bit just as she's probably a little bit more well-versed, uh, has got a little bit more experience, has fought some high-level competition. You mentioned some of those names, been in there with Rose, been in there with Yo Joanna, and, and Hill, obviously, that was her big jump up was fighting Claudia, and a fight she looked outstanding again. I mean, Claudia's game plan, you know, what didn't work out the way she wanted to, and she kind of got stuck on the outside of Hill's strikes, and it was wild to see that, that Hill didn't get that decision. Uh, Michelle Watterson has actually come out and said in an interview that she's sort of under, she, she agrees with what you just said, Josh, was that she is a, a bit timid and sometimes uh, pulls back a lot of her strikes, doesn't go 100% a lot of times, and she wanted to change that up this fight and sort of throw a, a you know strategy or a playbook out the window a little bit, so to speak. So that's going to be interesting to see if that's something that actually happens uh, against Angela Hill. I think this will be a very high-level strawweight fight. Uh, Angela Hill, someone who's you know, been here and there kind of around being a top-tier contender but never really got over that hump. Uh, if she was able to put Watterson away or look just outstanding in a five-round fight, that'd be a good fight to really kind of push her towards that next step uh, of really jumping into the uh, top of the strawweight division and earning a big fight next. Of course, that's the division that, that's wide open with you know, only a, a lot of the contenders are being recycled over and over again. So Angela Hill can really add some flavor into that title mix and kind of add a new name to fight some of those top tier fighters. And again, this is a card that's really been put together over the last two weeks. Uh, Roxanne Montefiore against Andrea Lee, uh, Kama Worthy back Mike Rodriguez and Herman being uh, booked really short notice after Herman's fight fell through when Gerald Mirzart tested positive about a month ago, uh, you know, preliminary cards got a couple of names on it. Tyson Nam's back after his nasty knockout, uh, Sarge Eubanks returns, Roosevelt Roberts, Long and Lakey, finally fighting uh, Matt Viola. They, those guys have had some beef, so they're going to finally fight. Uh, so, again, one of those fights where uh, a lot of people may not tune in. They look past it, but some real good fight of the night South fights on the card. 
you know, if you, you just said something that, that actually kind of jolted my memory. Um, if you look back at the, the Claudia Gadelia Angela Hill fight, it happened uh, a couple of weeks ago in the Overeem uh, Walt Harris card. And if you remember, one of the fights on that card was, uh, was Marlon Chito Vero versus uh, Song Yadong. And I thought, you know, Chito kind of won his fight as well and got robbed. Uh, you know, Angela Hill got robbed that night, in my opinion, as well. And these nights kind of happen in fights, in, in the fight game, where the, the judges don't really see it for you. Um, and they, a lot of it's judging incompetency, and, and some of it's, uh, you know, cage control or who's pursuing who. Um, but I think Angela Hill, I'm, I'm with you. I think I agree. I think that she has kind of been a, a here or there fighter, you know, kind of, you know, she'll have one good performance and then two bad, and then two good, and then, you know, one bad. But um, I'd really like to see what she, you know, what she can do on this run that she's on. Um, you mentioned a couple, a couple fights on that card. You know, it's a, one of them that's kind of standing out to me is, you know, we get to see Kama Worthy again um, against Atman Azatar, Andrea KGB Lee, who I absolutely love. Uh, you know, she's taking on Roxanne Modafiri, who Roxanne, you know, after she beat Macy Barber, she dropped a, uh, a decision to uh, Lauren Murphy. Yeah. Yep. So, Roxanne's coming back. That'll be a really good fight. Uh, you know, another contender series uh, standout that we're, we're getting to see again is Brock Weaver, you know, and, and, you know, he's had a lot of kind of weird stuff happen to him outside of the cage or, or kind of get outed outside of the cage. Um, you know, not having the most tremendous run in the UFC, but uh, he takes on Frank Camacho. Uh, Brian Barbarino, who is one of my absolute favorite uh, Arizona fighters, you know, he had an absolute war with Vicente Luque, uh, taking on Anthony Ivey. And uh, a girl that's kind of local to uh, to me and you both, Cody, is uh, Justine Keish. She's yes. going to be on the fight card. Yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. some there's some solid fights. Love Justine. Love watching her out. She was actually one of my favorites uh, in the Ultimate Fighter. Thought she would turn some heads there, and she's still relevant in the UFC flyweight division. So I definitely oh, – well, we, go ahead. We just, look, we just look past Bobby Green. Oh, yeah, Bobby Green taking a short notice fight. He just took that fight uh, late last week. Yeah, yeah, I completely forgot about that. Yeah, we're looking past Bobby Green coming off the win over Lando Venata. That fight, Alan Patrick on the prelim car. So uh, a fun night of fights. And, of course, we'll we'll talk some of the things that stand out there on next week's show. And, and then, of course, also on next week's show, uh, we'll go in full detail about the big fight night show, uh, one of the final shows from the oh. Apex for a while, as we'll finally get the rivalry matchup in the books between Colby Covington and Tyra Woodley. And, uh, of course, with the pandemic going on, it's really scary to get really hype about certain fights. So I really hope that fight uh, stays solid. And there's some other big fights on that card. I know everyone's talking about Colby and Woodley, uh, but we'll also preview the Donald Cowboy Cerrone against Nico Price fight, Johnny Walker, Ryan Spann, Mackenzie Dern is back. She's fighting Renda Marcos. And, of course, the fight we just mentioned uh, a little bit ago, uh, Kazmet Chemaya against Gerald Mearshar. All those fights on next week's card, the final card from the UFC Apex before we return to Fight Island for UFC 253. So uh, we'll, we'll check out, see what happens this weekend. And then, of course, Josh will review that. And we got a lot to talk about next week. Absolutely. And if you, if you follow us on Twitter and you, you interact with us and you've seen my list of prospects, next week's fight card actually contains two of those guys, uh, contains Surreal Gain and TJ Laramie both. So that's an absolutely incredible looking card. And honestly, dude, I'm excited for this weekend's card. You know, I'm, I'm excited to see what Angela can do. Um, I'm excited to see if she can kind of finally put it all together and go on a run. And, and you know, the karate hottie, even though she has been timid and she is kind of a slow starter, she's still a fun fighter to watch, you know. Uh, Brock Weaver, you know, despite everything that, that has been said about him outside of the cage and everything uh, surrounding his character and whatnot, you know, he's still fun to watch. You know, Ed Herman, uh, Andrea Lee. Um, I mean, it's, it's – it on paper kind of looks like a, a little bit of a sluggish, you know, in-betweener card, but this could, you know, I think me and you've talked about it before. There's kind of weird in-betweener cards. Typically, you know, they tend to have some, some really good standout fights on it. Oh yeah. These are great for a lot of people. I guess you call them background shows just to kind of have on while you're doing other things. But yeah, these are some of my favorite cards. Some of these most underrated fights that, you know, you'll see are on cards like this. So I, I agree real quick, Josh, pick a winner, water center Hill this weekend. Uh, I'm going to have to go with Angela Hill, man. I, I can't see it going any other way for the karate hottie unless she just comes out and just, I don't know, she Conor McGregor's Angela Hill and catches her in 12 seconds with a, a you know, a, a straight left, you know? 
Yeah, I agree. I'll, I'll take Hill by a five-round decision, too. So that'll be a fun fight card that's going on this weekend. And, of course, next week we'll be right back here with another episode. No more hiatuses. We'll be back, and we'll have TJ and maybe some other people on with us as well to talk about the big-time Covington-Woodley card, our last local U.S. I guess local, not really local, but at least in the USA card. We'll talk about that next weekend. Josh, it was fun, man. Good to be back. It's awesome, man. I love being back. If you are fans of the show, please go on Apple. Please go on Spotify. Give us a five-star rating. Subscribe so you get all the newest episodes. And interact with us on Twitter. Uh, I think me and Cody are pretty fun to deal with on Twitter. So definitely give us a follow on there. It's at MMA, And our Instagram is at BaselineTimes. Yep, and online, all the articles, everything. And if you're a fan of any other sports, obviously it's a great time to be an MMA fan. Even better time just to be a sports fan in general. Got every major sport going on right now, which is crazy. But we got something about every sport online at BaselineTimes.com. So until next week, for Josh Thomas, I'm Cody Gwynn. We'll see you next time here on Baseline MMA. Adios. Thanks for listening to Baseline MMA. For written previews, recaps, and more, plus NBA, NFL, and other sports coverage, visit our website at BaselineTimes.com. Follow the Baseline MMA Twitter for live fight coverage every weekend. For TJ, Josh, and Cody, until next week, thanks for joining us on another episode of Baseline MMA. Baseline MMA.